Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. Longhorn Notebook brought to you by our friend Aaron Bowersock, your home loan expert, your Longhorn lender. Be sure to Check her out on the web at BowersockTeam.com, B-O-W-E-R-S-O-C-K, BowersockTeam.com. See if she can do for you what she did for Linda and me, and that's to help us get that home loan approval turned around in a snap. She is the person who can make that 10-day or less home loan approval guarantee. Uh, audio? Good. Yes, yeah. we have that. Uh, we start with basketball. First, yeah. Of course, the Longhorns had the uh, airtight win over the Oklahoma Sooners on Saturday, and uh, when the game was over, Eddie Warren and I, I sat down to uh, talk about it with Rodney Terry, and it was was this collective feeling of, whew, that that one was on the shelf and in the books. In this league, pretty much in any league in college basketball, but especially in this league, you're going to have some games like this, right, where uh, the guys are playing hard but maybe not playing their best. You wind up in a real battle with a rival, wind up having to go to overtime. So much momentum and ebb and flow, and I guess the guys have to reach down inside to find something extra to secure the win. Well, we prepared to be in a, in a dogfight kind of game. We knew uh, the first game up at Oklahoma, you know, it was a one-possession game. So when, when you're coming in, Porter was going to have his team ready to play, a well-coached team, and, and uh, coming off a big win, um, you know, we knew we were going to be in one of these kind of grinded-out kind of games. You know, early on, they, they were able to get a lot of the 50-50 balls and some balls, broken plays kind of went their way, and they probably shot 10-11 layups in the first half, you know, and uh, – uh, we just need to come back out in the second half and really try to put it on our defense. And I thought our defense kind of gave us a little bit of separation there to kind of close out the in regulation. Uh, but we also had to rev it back up again in overtime. Let me get your thoughts on the, the, the three straight empty possessions near the end of regulation. And so they still have to get the three and to get that, that bounce out, one of those 50-50 balls at Surefield. Did you want to get the timeout off the inbounds coming after they had hit it the three when Marcus was racing up the floor? No, you know what? Sometimes you, you do that and they're able to set their defense. They had no timeout. So if we, we give them a timeout, now they can set their defense and you draw a play up and you try to get it up the floor and you, you struggle just to get into half court. But, you know, a lot of times you had the ball in your best player's hand. He had a chance to try to get downhill, uh, get to the basket and win the game without having to, you know, letting them set their defense. Um, you know, really would prefer not to have been in that position, uh, you know, with uh, with us, uh, you know, a couple of empty possessions offensively. If we closed out a couple possessions there where we didn't turn, you know, not, we had a turnover with Timmy there in the post, you know, we were trying to really play through him, you know, and everything. We kind of just closed that game out in regulation. You know, Rodney, I thought the key to tonight was balance. You had balance on your scoring because of the way they approached you. You had They were taking away your inside and outside. So you guys had to be patient and take up the balance. Yeah, we did. We had five guys in double-figure scoring. You know, I thought DeSue gave us gave us a great lift offensively. What they were trying to do every time Marcus came off the ball screen, we knew that they were trying to trap him. And uh, we needed to have a post guy that was ready to make a play. And especially when we were able to put shooters around those guys, you're able to, to kind of pick your poison on what you want to get done. 
You're tied for first for four games left. We know the grind continues. Iowa State coming in. They come up a loss at K-State. And then you've got to go to Waco and you got to go to Fort Worth and, and, and then finish with Kansas. I know it's each game as it comes, but to, important to get this one win here with the grind still left, wouldn't it? Well, we're going to enjoy this one tonight. I mean, it's, it's a rival game. Uh, again, a game where, again, we had to come out and try to out-compete an Oklahoma team that we, we have a lot of respect for in terms of how hard they play and their preparation. Um, you know, so we'll enjoy it for one night and we'll turn our, turn our attention toward Iowa State. You know, they play really well up there at their place against us up there. So, you know, we'll be excited about a great challenge here come Tuesday night at home. Yeah, it'll be uh, quite the challenge. Just looking around this deal, I, I, I got an email that showed uh, some upcoming Big 12 games. I mean, everywhere you look, there are big games. Like Oklahoma State, Kansas State, this coming Saturday yeah. at Gallagher-Iba. There's, that's just an example. There's there's games like that, and the Longhorns have four of those remaining. I, you know, I didn't even think about it, Craig, because Texas is right in the thick of the title race, but I didn't even think about it until you brought it up this morning. If you're one of those teams that, in Oklahoma State and Iowa State, you want to do everything you can to avoid being in seventh place. Yeah. You don't want to have to play. Nope. On that first day. Do not want to play on the first day. And I think the ones who are in the greatest danger of that are Oklahoma State and TCU. Yeah. Uh, but And Iowa State will be in that group. If, Iowa if State will Texas be in that group. The game they, tomorrow. Absolutely. They will fall into that group. And Baylor could fall in that group if they lose to Kansas State tomorrow night. True, yeah, because they'll be at six losses. So, yeah. yeah. So, it, you know, that's why it's, it's, uh, it's, it's crucial. By the way, on the women's side, the Baylor women, are in a bit of a free fall. They've lost three in a row. They're seven and six in conference play. They lost at home in double overtime to Iowa State on Saturday. A lot of grumblings, folks uh, on the Brazos, not very happy with Nikki Collin right now. Yeah, things uh, things have not gone well. They've had the, the thing that's hurting them from everything that I've read and heard and watched the news conferences and things like that is that. Um, I heard Aaron use this term this morning, and and it, he used it to apply it to Oklahoma's men, and I think it applies to the Baylor women. They're finding ways to lose games late. Yeah. Uh, not not calling a timeout to advance the ball after a made bucket, which you can do yeah. in the women's game inside a final minute, turning it over in a game-tying three-pointer for the Sooners. There was that, followed by they had a couple opportunities in regulation or late in the game to put Iowa State away. Didn't guard Lexi Donarski on, a, on an open three, and she is lethal from beyond mm-hmm. the arc and hits it to tie it and get it uh, in overtime. So things like that happen, you know, and, and it's it's kind of tough for them right now. And this is a brutal league, as we know, on both sides, men's yeah. and women's basketball. Uh, quick question as far as timeouts go. Do, do you like, you know, I'll go to Texas at the end of regulation. Do you, you Just you personally, because I, I know where, where RT probably leans because we've seen Texas in these situations. Do you prefer call a timeout and set something up, or do you like, hey, made basket, just go because maybe they don't have time to set their defense? I, I, I'm a person that doesn't like throwing a blanket over everything, but I'm also on record. People know that me, I'm a little more old school, uh, seeing it in ACC country where I've been more of the of the school of get the ball into the front court and call a timeout. Leave yourself, if you can, about three seconds yeah, okay. to set up, if you can, yeah. if you can. In that particular case, when that shot went through, there was 6.8 to go. Mm-hmm. And I get what Rodney Terry was saying, because, and that also comes from the Rick Barnes school yeah. as yep. well, about get it and go. And a lot of, and Oklahoma had no timeouts left, so it makes sense that you don't allow them to get back to set up their defense. Now, that said, I'm also of that old school of, yes, 
you don't want them to you don't want to give them an opportunity to set up their defense. By the same token, you still have to make the shot, yep. and so you've got to be organized enough on offense. Now, I agree with him. You get the ball in the hands of your best player, Marcus Carr. You have to you know you have to trust that he can get it in a position to maybe hit a shot or find somebody. I thought Oklahoma did a really good job marginalizing him down the down the sideline where he couldn't get a clean shot. So that's a split second decision when you're crossing midcourt mm-hmm. and there's like at that by the time he's crossing midcourt it was like about three and a half uh do you pull up and call the timeout or do you do, try to see if he can veer in to get a shot away he, as it turned out he didn't get a good shot away because they they were able to force him into the corner yeah but uh i've always kind of been of that that mindset i and listen I saw Rick Barnes do it. Now he had a guy named Kevin Durant pulling the trigger on it, but I saw I saw him do that uh, in a game in Lubbock against Texas Tech. I saw him do it uh, with Brandon Mouton, hit a turnaround with the, they got it to midcourt, called a timeout, and had about one point four to go inbounded to Mouton, mm-hmm. and he nails a shot yeah. to get the game in overtime. And and I've seen Durant hit it some like that, and, and he had guys AJ Abrams, he had guys who would do that. Uh, it depends on the person and the time time score situation. Marcus Carr is the guy into whose hands you want the basketball. The question is, can you get a quality shot away? They didn't there, but they wanted in overtime. Yeah, your your call meets the that's the happy medium, right? Yeah. If if you can advance if you can advance and get a timeout and leave yourself two and a half, three seconds. And that's the difference between the men's game and the women's game that I think it, to me is is one of the things that the women's game uses that I'd love to see the men's game adopt. Because the women's game, they basically adopted it from the NBA. Mm-hmm. If you're inside a minute and the other team makes a basket, you can call timeout and advance the ball into the front court. And uh, that's why I was pointing out about Baylor. That that cost them in that one game. They didn't use the timeout to advance the ball in the front court. They threw the top ball in. It got intercepted and then kicked into the corner for the three-pointer to tie. But uh, I'd love to see that rule adopted for the men's game where you can call timeout. Yeah. Then if you're inbounding at midcourt with 6.8 to go, you got time. Do you, do you remember, is that, a, is that a FIBA rule as well? I think it is. And, okay. and, and, you have to, and, and you have to call it, then you can't take a dribble and call timeout. Right. You, you know why, this is the reason, the main reason, probably the only reason why I like the NIT, and I, I don't know why the NCAA does this. The NIT is played under FIBA rules. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Which I think is, I'm like, wow, this feels better, a little more fluid, a little more connected than the normal men's game does. So I, I don't know why the NCAA just doesn't go to FIBA rules for the men's game, period. But, yeah. you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about a yep. little football, Craig. We got coaches up for contract extensions now. You got, okay. if you include Tory Becton, which if you look at my story at Horns 24 7, no disrespect to Tory Becton because I said seven football assistant coaches. Tory's kind of on his own deal as a head strength coach. Uh, but you've got Jeff Choate, Tashard Choice, Blake Gideon, Terry Joseph, Pekwikowski, A.J. Milwee, Kyle Flood, Tory Becton, all getting contract extensions. Uh, you've got Choate, Choice, Gideon, Joseph, P.K., and Milwee. Their contracts, along with the contracts of Jeff Banks and Bo Davis, those contracts are going to expire now at the end of the 2024 season, so in February of 2025 is when those contracts will expire. Uh, you've got Kyle Flood, who gets a raise and an extension. I'll go through that here in just a second. But Kyle Flood has a contract now that's going to extend him through the 2025 season. Okay. So he's under contract until February of 2026. 
As far as the raises go, uh, Jeff Choate getting an 8.7% raise. He'll make uh, $625,000 this season and $675,000 next season. Kyle Flood, 6% increase. That's going to take him to $1.325 million in 2024 and $1.4 million annually on his extension. Uh, and then A.J. Milwee, who obviously the lead recruiter for Arch Manning, he's one of the biggest reasons why Arch Manning is at Texas, uh, he's getting a, a significant bump, a 13.3% raise to $425,000 over the next two seasons. And uh, and by the way, in case you need to some reminding, Bo Davis and Jeff Banks got extensions after last season, last offseason. So you've got PK, and PK didn't get a raise. He did get an extension, though. You've got PK at $1.7 million, uh, Kyle Flood making over a million, Jeff Banks is going to make $1.1 million this year, and Bo Davis is right at a million. So you've got four assistant coaches uh, making a million-plus dollars, a million dollars or more annually. So that's, I think that shows you. And I, I mentioned this in the story, and this is kind of the, the, the thing I wanted to hit on. I think this shows if you need any further proof that the current administration at Texas – is behind Sark and is willing to give him whatever he feels he needs, not just to win now, but to be the guy that can make the transition into the SEC for this football program a smooth one. The fact that you've got this kind of pool for salary for this kind of salary pool for assistant coaches contracts, uh, that to me says everything right there in terms of hey, we're you know we've seen the facilities upgrades, and I know a lot of that was on the table before Sark got here, but. Everything this administration has done for Sark, they're giving him all the tools that he needs to go get the job done. And and on top of that, Craig, now I li- this was all in a, the UT System Board of Regents on their meeting agenda, which those meetings are going to start tomorrow and Wednesday are when those meetings are going to take place. Okay. I couldn't find anything for Chris Jackson's contract in the agenda, so I don't know if that's That was be- him sitting next to Sark on the baseline Saturday, right, the I Texas game? Bel- I don't. Somebody pointed out to me and said, isn't that Chris Jackson? And I, and I couldn't see. I was blocked off a little bit. I don't think I – no, I don't think I've nope. noticed him. No. Well, I, I couldn't see for sure, and somebody thought that they saw him sitting. The only with time Sark I really paid attention to Sark was he was he was up walking around like around halftime. So, okay, um, but at any rate, so I couldn't find Chris Jackson's contract on the Regents meeting agenda. But I think this points to not just the the fact that the administration is valuing stability for once around the football program for the first time in a long time, and kind you've got some continuity with the coaching staff. I think it shows that Steve Sarkeesian did a really good job of putting together an initial staff. And that's not something that we've seen all the time at Texas. Like, love Charlie Strong, but I think everybody listening now can agree. That initial staff, with the exception of a coach or two, it was an abject failure. It was a disaster, that initial staff. And, And we could see on Tom Herman's initial staff, even though that staff won 10 games in a New Year's Six Bowl the following year in 2018. Man, in 2017, you could see there's uh, there's some chinks in the armor here. There's, there's a couple holes in the boat still that, that need to get plugged up. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and we saw by the end of year three, most of that initial staff for Tom Herman was out. A lot of those guys got replaced. And, you know, if, if Texas has a season more similar to, to 2021 than 2022, you, you'll see some changes. But I think don't dismiss the fact that a coach – is really good at hiring people and that being a valuable skill. I think that was one of the best things, one of the best qualities Mac Brown brought to the table was his ability to hire good assistant coaches. And you can count Mac's hits, <coughs> excuse me, a lot more than you can count his misses. Like, yeah, there's Larry McDuff, 
But you've also got that initial staff was with him for a while, and, and when it was came time to replace coaches, like Everett Withers moves on and takes an NFL job, you bring in Dwayne Aquina. Uh, you know, you, go go down the line and find you know, defensive coordinators. Uh, you know, hey, Gene Chizik leaves. Yeah, you bring in Larry McDuff, but then you bring in Will Muschamp. Uh, you know, Ken Rucker, you want to put him in an off-field role, you bring in Major Appleby. Major did a really good job recruiting while he was at Texas. So that was one of Mac's best traits was the ability to always have that Rolodex handy and hire really good assistant coaches. I think you can say the same thing about Stark because I really like this initial staff when it was put together. You moved on from Andre Coleman. I Say what you want about Brendan Marion. That was an upgrade from Andre Coleman, and now you've got Chris Jackson with Brendan Marion moving on. So, uh, And I think there's no question you're as good in as good of a situation or better with Tashard Choice replacing Stan Drayton when he moved on and got a head coaching job. So I, I just think this speaks to not just the administrative support, I think also the fact that Steve Sarkeesian knows how to put together a staff and did a really good job putting together that initial staff, especially the strides we saw all of these assistant coaches make with their position groups from year one to year two. All right. Uh, there's our uh, Longhorn Notebook for uh, this hour. Abe from Midland says, any XFL talk? I, uh, I enjoyed watching the weekend. The Brahmas had a great fan turnout and showed how the extra point rules in the 4th and 15 after scoring can really swing a game. In the NFL, the Battle Hawks would have had near zero chance of coming back. I watched five minutes of the XFL. I think that's about all I did as well. Look, I, I, and, and I have nothing against them. I mean, no. I'll probably watch some more, but... I had so much going on, uh, obviously, Saturday and getting back and all that. It just, it, it, you know, it was like watch for a little bit, flip, flip back, saw a little bit more. Didn't get to see any yesterday with the women's game and all that, but, I but the I'll dunk, probably watch some I more. picked the dunk contest over Did you? the XFL, yeah. Okay. Watch, you, you watch Mac McClung. Watch Mac McClung save the dunk contest. <laughs> okay. Okay. And yes, Texter, we we know now the cake was not baked. That cake had salmonella or something. I don't know. It was it was not it was not very good. There you go. <laughs> Exploded go. in the oven. Somebody point out Vic Schaefer is so intense. Early in that game yesterday, Texas was up like fifteen to two, and if you didn't know the score, you would have thought they were down rather than up. Your thoughts on his intensity throughout the game? He's always had that. He was like that at Mississippi State. Uh, that's that's his his way of doing it of coaching and his players know that uh, he's very and and a lot of time the intensity may not we may not have a total read on what he's being intense about sometimes it's about the way his team is not executing they made three or four at least passes into a crowded post that turned into turnovers yesterday and that'll drive him through the roof uh, upset with some substandard officiating. He'll he'll get pretty worked up about that. Well, this is like he's told he's told us on this show, and he's told you, you know, as intense as he is, the drive to win and to get where he wants his program to be. It's a miserable way to live. That's what he says. <laughs> it's a miserable way to live. He, he's like that. So it, it yeah. really is for some of these coaches. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know he incredibly deeply cares about his players. And then, by the way, I don't know if you if you were at the building yesterday, you would have seen when the game was over. Vic stood around with the players. Because uh, they'll they'll do post game autographs and signed every single autograph and took every single picture and uh, and was as warm and engaging with everybody yeah. afterwards. I mean it's 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 a different persona. I mean when he gets on the floor, he's dialed in. That's just that's the way he's built. Yeah, I like this text that I think the defense uh, the the initial defensive staff has done a tremendous job, especially after the skepticism of hiring some position coaches before the defensive coordinator. You know, we knew there was a talent deficiency. There was going to be issues. Does that excuse how bad the defense was in 2021? No. But we saw that group improve. They got better. A year in the system, a year for PK and these assistant coaches to get on the same page. And when we saw the product, and uh, I've actually got a 
uh, one of our reels up on our, our Horn Instagram account on our social media talking about, hey, with the central nervous system of that defense, especially if, if Jalen Catalan is healthy for a whole year, they've got the tools to have one of the better defenses in the Big 12 again next year and then Ice Cream Maine to finish it off. said, I would rather hear y'all talk about who the Cowboys are going to draft in the seventh round than XFL talk. <laughs> there you go. It, it depends on your your perspective on uh, 